Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. A lot of people have asked me about, and a lot of people ask about Uvalatzion. Why is it so long? Why is it here? Why is there a Kedusha? Why is there Aramaic? So we'll try to address all those questions. I think the one I can't address is why is it so long? The answer to why is it so long is because it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, Uvalatzion is generally referred to in traditional sources as Kedusha de Sidra, the Kedusha of the Seder. And the Seder usually it's called this in the Talmud. Actually, the phrase is used in the Talmud, and most commentators interpret this phrase to mean Uvalitzion, Kedusha de Sidra. And the Seder usually meant a teaching, okay, usually a teaching from the Bible. And that maybe gives us a little hint uh, that gives some scholars the hint into what the original setting or purpose of um, Uvalitzion was, the Kedusha de Sidra. So Kedusha de Sidra means Uvalitzion. That's the name of the paragraph if you look at certain Sidurim. Um, Avi, and, excuse me, what, yes? what page is it on in the slim? What Eight, page in the slim? 80. 80. Okay, thank you. Sure. Um, thanks for asking. And um, Uvalitzion is entirely composed of verses from the Bible. Okay, so none of it is um, an original composition, post, excuse me, post-biblical, um, except, of course, for the Aramaic, which is from the Aramaic Targum, or Aramaic, traditional Aramaic translations of the Bible. In other words, Uvalitzion is of a type of prayer of some of our earliest prayers, like the long section right after Baruch Sha'amar and Yehi Chavod Hashem Le'olam and much of the Slichot prayers of the High Holidays, which is to say it is a new composition, I'm putting it in air quotes, which is comprised entirely of verses from the Bible that are taken from different places and put together. Okay, so rather than someone sat down to compose, (coughs) someone sat down to compose an original prayer. I might sneeze again. Maybe I have to do a COVID test this morning. Um, A rapid test. Rather than someone sat down to compose an original prayer, which is what it looks like. If you look in our Sidur, you have this whole block of text. So it looks like someone sat down to write a block of text. In fact, what someone did is they cobbled together psukim from various <coughs> excuse me, places in the Bible uh, as a way of composing a new text. So when someone does that, we have to ask, of course, why these psukim? And taking these psukim, we, we assume someone didn't do it. Obviously, someone didn't do it randomly. Someone did it thoughtfully. So the question is, why these psukim and when they're taken out of context from all their various places and put together and juxtaposed, what kind of thrust or meaning or sense does this new composition have? 
okay? <clears throat> Just to um, short circuit and go to the end at the beginning. Most people who read uh, this paragraph or who talk about it in all the commentaries say that it's basically about two things. It's hope for the messianic future, and it's about Torah study. And the fact that it's about those two themes seems to imply some linkage, i.e., if we do Torah study, then we help bring the messianic future. That's an inference, okay? But most of it is about hoping for the messianic future, predictions of the messianic future, and about Torah study. So why would such a prayer be here? So there are various theories about Uvalitzion. Um, one is uh, the, always the favorite theory, which most academic scholars dismiss, which is the persecution theory. People, there was a persecution and Jews were forbidden to say the Kedusha. And so the censors knew when to come to shul to make sure the Jews didn't say the Kedusha, proclaiming God's kingship. And then the censors left. And then we snuck in a Kedusha at the end. That's one explanation that's given in the traditional sources. Another one, which is probably more, has more accuracy in it, is that um, at this point, there was a teaching. There was a little Dvar Torah before people went home. And the Dvar Torah usually involved some teaching from the prophets, okay? Um, and people were sent home on an uplifting note. If you keep studying Torah, the Mashiach is more likely to come sooner. And that's why this is here at the end of services. Now, originally, it might not have been at the end of services. It, originally, the prayer might have been said at the end of a study session, disconnected from services. So, for example, the Talmud, the Talmud in, if you want to go look it up later, Tractate Sota 49a says, the world is sustained by two things. It's one of these hyperbolic Talmudic statements about what sustains the world. The world is sustained by two things. On the saying of Yehesh Rabbah of the Agada, the Agadic teaching, and the Kedusha de Sidra. Okay, so it's these two things, Yehesh Rabbah and the Kedusha de Sidra. Interesting, both of them things that maybe have Aramaic. Okay, are the two things most important things they sustain the world. And it's the Yeheshme Rabbah de Agadita, it says, of the Agada, which suggests that what the Talmud is talking about in Tractate 49a is that these were two passages that were said after a teaching, a public teaching. So there'd be a public teaching, and then one would say Kaddish, right? Just like, what's our version of that? Kaddish after teaching. Kaddish to Rabbanan. So they're talking about Kaddish to Rabbanan. And there would be a Kedusha that would be said after the Seder. So maybe these were actually originally in Talmudic times about a teaching session that was disconnected from the davening. Maybe eventually that teaching migrated into the davening. And after the teaching, this prayer was said. Um, many scholars say that is why 
there's Aramaic translation of the Kedusha because the teaching, this is in late antiquity, Talmudic times, the teaching was given in the language that people could understand. That is to say, Aramaic, not Hebrew. It was in their day-to-day language. And so they concluded with a prayer, right? Uh, the Kedusha in their day-to-day language and or, and or, the Kedusha was recited, but it was translated into their everyday language so that they understood it, which, of course, raises interesting questions for us, given that uh, if that was the original purpose, given that um, Aramaic is not our day-to-day language and English is our day-to-day language. You might want to raise a question of like, oh, well, then should we be saying those Aramaic passages in English if that was the original point? But I'm not going to go into that. Um, there's another theory. So maybe there was, so one, one teaching is, one theory is there was a teaching session, a, a, a little vort, a Dvar Torah, at the end of davening every morning, uh, which very often was an opportunity to teach from the prophets. And the idea of teaching eventually dropped out. Actually, a lot of the medieval sources say, and over time, because people became poor and they had to go rush off to work, um, there is no longer any teaching. This was omitted. But what was left was just these few opening verses from the prophets, which the two opening verses are from the Nevi'im, from Yeshayahu. We'll talk about the content of those verses in a, in a moment. Okay. One more theory about why Kedusha de Sidra is here is that there were latecomers who came to shul near the end and missed the Kedusha. And this was an opportunity for them to hear the Kedusha because the Kedusha was important. By the way, there's another minhag um, that we tend not to practice at Betham, but you will see in a lot of traditional shuls for latecomers. And anyone know what that minhag is? You add one thing near the end of the service. Baruchu. Baruchu, either right before the Amida or, uh, sorry, right before Aleinu or right after Aleinu. So that is for someone who came to shul late, missed the Baruchu, is now in a minion. And so they lead Baruchu and then they go on with their davening, right? We tend not to do that in Betham. And it's not actually printed in the conservative Sidur. It is printed in lots of traditional Sidurim. Um, right before or after, it's usually before Alenu, sometimes after Alenu. Um, so we have three theories, persecution, latecomers, or um, there was a little Dvar Torah here. And this concluded, this was the thing, the, the peroration after the Dvar Torah. Those are the three reasons that are usually given to why Uvalitzion exists and why it exists in this location. Okay. That's kind of the big picture. Why is it here? Um, And kind of what the theme is. Now we're going to go through it Uh, again. If you said to me, but then why is it so long that I don't have an answer to And, And of course, a lot of us are deterred by its length. Okay. So we start out with two verses from Isaiah. Yes, Michael. Uh, in respect to the comment that shouldn't we perhaps do it in English, the, the part that's in Aramaic, is Mickey's belief that since nobody speaks Aramaic now, he, he omits that. When he's leading davening, he go, you know, he just blows right through it. Well, the chazar, meaning when he's privately davening. No, I mean when he's leading. 
Right. So the halacha is the chazan is not supposed to say any of the Aramaic aloud anyway. The traditional uh-huh. halacha, meaning uh, you prompt the kahal by saying, Vikarazel zevi amar. Everyone says kadosh, kadosh, kadosh aloud. You prompt the kahal by saying, you're, you're a little bit ahead of us here because people are going to say to me, where are you? So um, I think I want to say it when we get up to it. Okay. Um, so we start out with two verses from Isaiah. First one is a short one. Zion will have a redeemer, says God, a clear, uh, clearly understood to be messianic. This is a much, so the first verse is short, second verse is really long. Um, by the way, these are not consecutive verses. I believe they're not consecutive verses in Yeshayahu, Isaiah. So the second verse says, my breed with them, God saying my breed with them, and my covenant with them, and the word that I have put in your mouth will not leave the mouth of you or your children or your children's children forever. So that is obviously understood in context here, not necessarily what it is in Isaiah, okay, but in context here to be about Torah, right? What is the teaching? That should always be in your mouth and your children's mouth and your children's children's mouth, obviously, is the Torah, right? Even though it is not the word Torah is not used. We have the word, what are the three things that are seen as the, um, I, I wouldn't say they're synonyms, but they're a set of three. Briti, Ruchi, and Dvarai. My covenant, my spirit, and my words. And then the words gets a long thing, right? Never leave your mouth forever. So God is saying, my covenant with you, my, my covenant with you, my spirit, which is on you, and my words, which are in the mouths of you, your children, your children's children, um, sorry, the words which are in, the mou- in your mouths will never leave the mouths of your, um, the, will never leave your mouth and the mouth of your children and the mouth of your children's children. Okay, so we have Brit, Ruach, and Dvarim, covenant, spirit, and words. And then the thing that's sort of amplified on is the words. So this is understood to be a verse about Torah, and it's me'atave adolam forever, right? So we start out saying the Mashiach is going to come eventually, and you will be studying Torah forever, which of course could either imply you should study Torah forever to help Mashiach come, or Mashiach is going to come, and people will continue studying Torah forever, even though the Mashiach has already arrived. Could be understood either way. Everyone with me? So that's the preamble to the Kedusha. Um, and again, some of the scholars who say, originally there was a teaching here, and the teaching was from the prophets. Okay, by the way, there's no book that proves that. That's just a hypothesis. Then those scholars say, and these two verses of Isaiah are the only two verses that are left from their teaching. The lesson was shortened down to just two verses. Okay? 
So originally there was a Dvar Torah, which might have been something from the prophets, which ended with something uplifting. So go out and study Torah so the Mashiach will come. That was all abridged down to only two verses. Okay? Then we have the Kedusha itself. You might say that this next, the middle section of page 80, um, which the Slim Shalom sets it off nicely because it sets it into a different paragraph. It makes the whole Kedusha be a different paragraph, which the complete Sim Shalom does not do. So the Slim Shalom, I think, did a nice idea of identifying that this is a subsection of Uvalatzion. It is the Kedusha. So if the whole paragraph is called Kedusha de Sidra, all of Uvalatzion is called that, it is called that on the basis of this chunk in the middle, which is the actually Kedusha of the Sidra. Right, it's the actual kedusha of the teaching. So we have a little intro. You never, you never go right into the kedusha. A little intro. Israel, you, O holy one, are enthroned on the praises of Israel. Right, we're now about to do that enthroning by doing the praises. Who are we imitating when we do that? The angels. The angels, right? So the angels enthrall God on high with the words of the Kedusha. We know that from Isaiah's line, Kadosh, 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 and Yechezkel, Ezekiel's line, Baruch Kodashemim Komo. Okay? And so we're just sort of saying you're enthroned uh, by implication here, not on the praises of the angels, but we imitate the angels. We're going to do your praise now. Okay? Quote from Isaiah. Close quote. And we talked about the Kedusha in the Aminah, so I, I'm not going to talk too much about the specifics of these verses, okay? Because um, we talked about it twice. Once when we had the Kedusha de Meyushav, the seated Kedusha, part of the first blessing right after Baruchu. And then we have a Kedusha the second time, Kedusha de Amidah, the Kedusha we say standing as part of the Amidah, and this is the third Kedusha. So I don't think I'm going to go over the content of the lines much unless you have questions about it. So then we have the Aramaic Targum. So in late antiquity for hundreds of years, Jews spoke Aramaic as their primary language. The Bible was translated into Aramaic. There were a number of different translations in Aramaic. We have received certain ones that have come to be deemed as the authoritative, but they were not the only ones, just as there are a variety of translations of the Bible into English. And there was probably a period in which um, when the Torah was read publicly, laning, that a translator would repeat every line in Aramaic after the Torah reader read it in Hebrew. Um, some Yemenite congregations still do that today. Young Israel of Beverly Hills, which is not in Beverly Hills, um, but is on Pico Boulevard, has a minion in the back of the building. It's not, it's not their main minion. It's the <clears throat> back room minion, mm-hmm. uh, which is an Orthodox Yemenite minion where they still lane this way. The Gabai chants each verse in Aramaic after the Torah reader reads each verse, which makes laning on Shabbat morning very long. 
Okay. But this is a traditional way in which the Torah was read maybe 1500 years ago, and some Yemenite congregations still do it. As far as I know, the Yemenites are the only ones who do it. I don't think other Mizrahi traditions do it, as far as I know. So from if you owned a ton, uh, a, like a Mikra Otgidolot, you know, a, a Tanakh with traditional commentaries, and you looked at what's the Targum of Isaiah, Kadosh, 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 this is what it is, okay? Notice, we're going to notice now, it is not a literal translation, but rather an amplification. Umakablin dein mi dein vamrin, which means vikarazel zevamar. That's pretty close. But kadosh, kadosh, kadosh is then exploded out to be the what, right? Didn't you always wonder why do the angels say it three times? So here's the answer according to the Targum. The first kadosh is. Kadish Bishmeim Roma Ila'a Bechinte. It means God is sanctified up in the highest heavens. And the second Kadosh means Kadish Al Ara Ovad Givurte. God is holy on the earth, which is the um the creation of his mightiness. Something like that. Kadish Lalamu al Me'al Maya. Um he is holy. God is Kadosh forever. Hashem Tzvaot. Then we have Hashem Tzvaot. Untranslated. Notice. Right. Malya kol The whole world is filled with the uh, the shiningness of his kavod. Yikar is a, the common Aramaic translation of kivod. Kavod. Um, so we know, I'll just say this briefly, of the different translations into Aramaic, some of them are very literal, and some of them make changes and have interpolations. So the standard Targum for the Chumash, which is called Targum Unclus, is known as the most literal. Um, it's not 100% literal, there's a times when it euphemizes because it tries to avoid anthropomorphisms about God. So it tries not to translate God's mighty right arm in a literal way. Okay. But in general, Targum Unculus is um, the most literal, but we know there are other, and there is no Targum Unculus. There's Targum Unculus only on the Chumash, only on the Torah, the five books of Moses, not on Nevi'im or Ketuvim. There's no Unculus it's a different Targum. It's Targum Yonatan or Targum Yerushalmi, right? And the other Targumim, other than Targum Unklus, another way of saying it is, it's as if I said to you, different, and you'd say, duh, right? If I said to you, different English translations have a different editorial purpose. Some English translations want to translate literally. Some English translations want to translate idiomatically. Some English translations want to translate incorporating certain ideology. So, for example, I have a Chabad Chumash with Chabad English translation, right? Or if you look at the Stone Chumash, which is the Art Scroll Chumash, which has an English translation, they will incorporate traditional Orthodox ideology into the translation, Okay, 
which let's say the JPS does not. Okay. And then you have the JPS Fumash, which tries to translate more or less literally. And then you have a couple of others like Everett Fox or Robert Alter, Everett Fox in particular, who want to translate, you know, not into, they have their own purpose, you know, idiomatic English, English that replicates the sound of the Hebrew, right? So different translations can have a different purpose behind them. All right. Targum Yonatan is known as a non-literal translation. So the standard Aramaic translation of Isaiah was written by someone who does not give a slavish literal word-for-word translation. He sometimes has interpretations. He will sometimes interpolate all kinds of agadic material, midrashic material. And here what Targum Yonatan has done is he has given you an explanation of why does it say, why does it say kadosh, kadosh, kadosh? Do you want me to go to a different room? Okay. Um, why are there three kadosh, kadosh, kadoshes? It is not repetitive. Rather, what it means is God is sanctified in heavens. God is sanctified on earth. And God is sanctified forever and ever. In other words, the three kadoshes are not just repetitive. They are rather meant to convey um, that God is sanctified everywhere and for all time, right? Above and below and forever. So we have a spatial dimension and a temporal dimension. So Targum Yonatan, this Aramaic translation of Isaiah, which is copied into our Sidur, has an interpretation which he didn't necessarily make up, right? So if, you, if you want to know if Targum Yonatan made that up or not, you'd have to, you know, you'd look at various Midrashic commentaries on Kadosh, 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 in I, the, the scene in Isaiah, Isaiah's vision of God sitting on the throne and the angel saying Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. You'd want to look at the various Midrashic commentaries on Kadosh, 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 which I haven't done. Um, and you'd want to see, is Targum Yonatan creating something new, or is Targum Yonatan simply incorporating the Midrashic interpretation of Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. I suspect it's the latter, but I can't uh, tell you I've researched that. Okay? So Targum Yonatan exp- uh, expands on Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Larry, I think you have a hand up. I was just going to make a comment. You talked about, in particular, the stone Humash translations. I don't know if you want to just comment on the translation of Sher Shirim, which is the most extreme example of a commentary in lieu of a translation at all. Right. Or, well, again, I, I don't want to say it's a commentary in lieu of a translation. I want to say all commentaries have an ideology, an editorial ideology behind them. Their editorial ideology is um, the correct way to understand uh, any passage in the Bible is the way that Haredi Judaism has decided uh, is a particular line of interpretation. So this strikes us modern people as sort of silly when we read, you know, where in Hebrew it says your two breasts and in English it says Moses and Aaron, right? 
But but yeah, I just want to point out, Art Scroll didn't make that up. That's what the traditional medieval commentators say. So they would simply say a correct way to understand the Hebrew is with the guidance of our sages of blessed memory. That's their ideology. Is that a reasonable response? Only to say, understood, and I'm not complaining about it. The first time, if you if you ever, for example, just for instance, innocently picked up that chumash because you wanted to read Shira Shirim, you might say, wait a second, this is a misprint. Something's wrong. That might be if you had that view, or if you had a different view, your um, your your you you might react by saying, thank God that the editors of Art Scroll have uh, given us a correct understanding of what your Ashuri means. So it depends, on, it depends on your ideology. Well, I don't want to belabor the point, but I will say there is a certain amount of distance from the accepted literal translation of the words, even if it's not the correct interpretation, where you get so far that, that most, most people would say, wait a second, something's going on here. That's all yeah, I'm saying. I got it. And what I'm saying, Larry, is they didn't invent that. That was invented in the year 1000 or before. They are simply transmitting what many of the traditional commentators say. So they're saying what we have to learn, the correct understanding of Torah is what our sagacious, sagacious, I before you accept it, I don't know, sagacious, I guess, sage, but sagacious. Alan? No, it's just saying sagacious. Sagacious, because it's not an I or an E, correct. Right. So the correct understanding is what our sagacious sages have interpreted for us for over a thousand years. Right. Understood and excited. I got it. So all I'm saying is like, oh, if you read Rashi first and a lot of other commentators and then you read Art Scroll, then you say, oh, yeah, okay, they're they're faithfully transmitting what the sages. Now, not all interpreters say that, but the, the you know, there's very strong line of medieval interpretation of Shirashirim Song of Songs, that it's allegorical. And you can say it's because they were uncomfortable with the literal sexuality or whatever, um, but, but Art Scroll didn't invent it. That's all I'm saying. They're standing on the, they're, they are standing on the shoulders of people who are standing on the shoulders of people who came before them. Okay, let's just finish the Kedusha part. Okay, today. That is the intro line from Ezekiel, right? Baruch Kvod Hashemim Komo, that's Ezekiel. And then we have the Targum to Ezekiel. Unatalat Rucha, Vishimet Batrai Kal Zia Sagi, Dimashabchin Ve'amrim, that's added, which praises and says, right? Brich Yikarat Adonai Me'atar Be'it So that's a pretty close to a literal translation there. That's, so that Targum is not majorly, majorly, it's not, it's not as different from the original Hebrew as the Kadosh, 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 Kadish, Kadish, Kadish is. Then we have a third verse, and the third verse of Kedusha is always interesting because the third verse of Kedusha, when there is a third verse, is not from a mystical vision because there are only two mystical visions in the Kedusha, the core Kedusha, right? Isaiah, Kadosh, 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 and Ezekiel, Baruch, Kvod, Hashem, which is why when we do our first Kedusha, seated, right, before the Shema, after Baruch before the Shema, it's part of Yotzer, um, we only have those two verses, okay? The third verse, and we, uh, by the way, the third verse is added 
in the Kedusha of our Amida, which is Yimloch, right? Yimloch Hashem is from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms has no Aramaic Targum. It has no accepted traditional Aramaic Targum. I don't know if there ever was one, that I have no idea. Um, uh, and so a different third, because we want the people to understand the Kedusha, and there is no, and they only understand Aramaic in the year 500 of the Common Era or whenever. And there is no Aramaic for because it's from the Psalms, and there is no Aramaic translation of the Psalms. Therefore, a different verse of Melucha, God's kingship, is picked here. Probably that's the reason. Where does that come from? Anyone remember? We say it every morning as part of the davening. You take it for granted because it's so small and obvious. So obvious that it's hard to think of it. Shirat Hayam. Song at the sea. At the very end, yes. Exodus, right? Uh, so, very end. so instead of, which we have in the standing Kedusha, which is about God's kingship. So what's the idea? Oh, the angels enthroned you by saying their line. So we want to say a line enthroning you. It's about God's kingship, rulership. Okay, in this Kedusha, which I'm going to, oh, I want to have a translation in Aramaic, I'm going to pick a different kingship line. Okay. By the way, and we know from Kedusha on um, uh, Shabbat morning, Shacharit, and Shabbat morning, Musaf, and the three pilgrimage festivals, Shalosh Regalim, that there were other lines that were sometimes added in the Kedusha. Right. So the core Kedusha or imitating the angel sanctifying God's name is two lines. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh and Baruch Hashem in Kamo from Isaiah, from Ezekiel. Our Shachri Amida on the weekday adds one line. Um, uh, Musaf on Shabbat adds other lines. It adds the Shema. Right. Um, festivals adds Adir Adirenu. Right. So we recognize that there was the there was a ritual practice let's just say of in certain kedushas other lines were added other than the core kedusha okay in our amida we add one line about god's kingship and in this kedusha kedusha desidra we substitute a different line about god's kingship and that's because this line does have a targum or an aramaic translation whereas psalms does not have any aramaic translation and so if the purpose was so that everyone would understand the Kedusha, by saying, translating into Aramaic, we have to have a different line. Okay? Um, I'll conclude with one word on this, which is that, in general, the halacha says, in general, there's other opinions, but the majority of halachic opinion is that none of the Aramaic translation is said aloud by the chazan. By the way, there's another opinion I came across which is that when you're davening individually, you're not supposed to say the Kedusha because you, because you only say the Kedusha with a minion, right? So there is a halachic opinion. This is not, I think it's not the majority opinion that when you're davening individually, you say the Hebrew lines silently and the Aramaic lines aloud. Mm-hmm. 
I don't believe that's the majority opinion, but there is a halachic opinion that says that. But the majority of halachic opinion is that the chazan does not say any of the Aramaic aloud. In other words, the chazan says, and then the chazan then the chazan says, everyone joins in, and then the chazan does not say, which, by the way, is not a prompt. Notice the other two are the prompt. They're the lead-in of the Kedusha line from Isaiah, right, and from Ezekiel. But is not a prompt to Hashem Yimloch Le'olam Ba'ed. It's just the last part of the Aramaic translation of line number two. So it doesn't even, regardless of whether you knew the halacha, of saying Aramaic aloud or not, it doesn't actually make any sense to use it as a prompt, right? So there are some, depending on where you daven, in some shuls, some traditions, the chazan does not say Hashem Yimloch Le'olam Ba'ed aloud at all. Everyone's just davening it. And in some shuls, the chazan says Hashem Yimloch Le'olam Ba'ed aloud, right? But halakhically, the chazan is not supposed to say the Aramaic words before it as a prompt. In other words, Hashem Yimloch Le'olam Ba'ed has no intro. The other two Kedusha lines have an intro, um, and Chazan prompts us by saying that intro line, and the third line has no intro. So either the Chazan says, Hashemim Lochlulam Ha'ed, or the Chazan says nothing, and it's all said individually and silently. Um, but as far as I know, I'm not a posek, not a halachic decisor, as far as I know, for the Chazan to say, as a prompt, is incorrect. One could understand why a Chazan would feel they should do that, right? There's, the first two lines have an intro, so how do you know when to join together for Hashem There should be an intro. So on some you know, human level, I understand why that is. I think it's halachically incorrect, as far as I know. Again, you'd have to ask Rabbi Klickfeld. He is the decisor for our shul. Okay, we're running over. I'm going to stop. If there are questions, please hold on to those questions for next time, where we'll continue through the collection of verses of Uvalatzion, and we'll try to see if it, if in fact the claim that I made at the beginning that it's about the Mashiach and Torah study, if in fact that hangs together um, when we look at the verses. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.